Well, if you're already with me there in 2 Peter chapter 3, we just heard a Old Testament minor prophet warning of the day of the Lord. And we've talked a lot about prophecy in the last days, last months, uh, especially when we looked at Mark 13. But the prophets were constantly warning of these days that were coming, these days of that the Lord would judge his people when they came. But they were always foreshadowing an ultimate day of the Lord when the Lord would return and ultimate judgment and destroy all that there is. And that's kind of where that prophetic word from Joel was pointing to. And now Peter picks that up in the New Testament and he talks about it. I'm not really going to be talking about the day of the Lord today, but it's, uh, it's in the context of that. And we will mention it some. But if you want to look with me there, chapter 3 of Second Peter, we will... Um, Read this whole chapter. This is how the second. Le- this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, "Where's the promise of His coming?" For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for the fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack or slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And he does in all his letters, as he does in all of his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. Now that was a lot, and there's no way I could cover that whole chapter in one meeting. Um, I preached through this whole book of Second Peter some years ago. But I want you to notice a few things about this chapter in the context of the day of the Lord. 
there were false prophets and false teachers in this day, as there were in all the days since the garden. And these false teachers and false prophets that Peter is talking about, he calls them scoffers. And basically, what they were teaching was there is no return of Christ. So Jesus is not coming back, so stop worrying about that. And so you can find it easier to see why Peter described them in such harsh, harsh language. Because contrary to the apostles' teaching and Jesus' teaching, these men were saying things that were not true because there were some central components that the apostles always included in their preaching. They referred to it as, in the first century, as the kerygma, which just means basically the proclamation. And there was something, there were some components always in their kerygma or their preaching. And it was the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and his one day returning to earth to set all things back in this new heaven and new earth and destroy all sin and the old creation forever. And so Peter was very distraught and righteously angry because these false teachers were teaching people that some of what the apostles and Jesus himself had taught was not true. Peter, in his sermon at Pentecost, talks about all these components I just shared with you. James, the brother of our Lord, talks about these in his epistle. Paul, as was mentioned in this chapter, talks about it frequently. All components, the life, death, burial, resurrection, and return of Christ. And of course, John even talks about it in his epistles and in the book of Revelation. So Peter's very offended because what we believe about the end of time is important. We talked a lot about this when we studied through Mark chapter 13. A lot of people believe that what you believe about the end times ought to teach you how and inform you about how to read the Bible and study it. I tend to believe that you ought to read the Bible and study it in a consistent way, and that will lead to what you believe about the end times. And it will be consistent throughout. And I think it has to be consistent. And I think it needs to be clear, and it shouldn't be all that difficult what you believe about the end times. But in the context of this, and I hope that most of you believe that Jesus was real, that he was God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross as in place of our, in our place, as a sinner, though he wasn't a sinner. He died as sin. He became sin for us, the Bible says. And he really died. And he satisfied God's wrath toward the sin of those who would believe. And then he was buried, really buried. Three days later, he arose. We talked about this some last week. And he ascended back into heaven 40 days after that. And we are told that one day he will return. Okay? And I think probably most of us believe that at least in part. And we want to believe it more. But in the context here of this, and Peter is setting this record straight, hey, don't listen to these liars. Jesus will return. And he will set straight everything that he said he would set straight. Jesus himself even said that he would return one day. But in that context, sort of the context of this whole book, 
Peter points something out that I want you to pay attention to this morning. He says in there that our view of the destruction that's coming, the judgment that's coming, rather than cause fear and angst, gives the people of God hope and assurance. Never does the Bible say Jesus is returning one day, so go dig a bunker and put a bunch of food in it. Or go hide yourself away. Or get ready. No, rather it talks to us in this context. Make your election and calling sure. Because Peter points out, hey, God has destroyed the earth before with water. In these judgments that the Old Testament prophets spoke of, they were... Very serious, thunderings, dark clouds, smoke, fire. That's the, way they ju- that's the way they describe the judgment of God. Because who can stand in the presence of a holy God? Not sinful humans. But those of us who believe in Christ, we will stand, not because we're good or we've done something worthy of standing, but we will withstand because he's not coming to destroy us. He's coming to take care of us. It's different. But even though he's already destroyed the earth by water once, he will also destroy the earth one day with fire, it says. All the things that are here will be burned up. It's great language. In fact, that word that's translated in ESV, deluged, when God deluged the whole earth with water. It's the only time it's used in the Greek New Testament. It's where we get our word uh, cataclysm. It's, it's the same, it sounds like that. Cataclysmic. It was serious. And so one day he's going to do it again, and it'll be very cataclysmic. But Peter says, in light of that, again, not don't be afraid. Don't run hide away. But in light of all of that, the judgment of God, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That sounds weird, doesn't it? There's this gloomy day of judgment, this day of reckoning, when God's going to come and destroy all that there is, including those who do not believe, and set things right. And Peter says, in light of that, what sort of people ought we to be? Those of us who believe in holiness and godliness. In other words, we don't shrink back in fear. We know the one who's coming. And what that word means, or that phrase, what sort of people, it literally could be translated, what kind of otherworldly person should you be? And it's a very serious word because it's only used a few times, and the other time, one of the other times it's used, it describes Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, it says, the people marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? What kind of otherworldly person is this? Because he looks like the way he lives and acts and loves and the things he teaches, he doesn't seem like he's from this planet. And, of course, we know he wasn't. He was, he was from eternity. He is God, and he stepped into this world. He was otherworldly. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. That same phrase. What otherworldly kind of love that God has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So what Peter says here is, in light of all that you know that's coming, 
because the apostles have been teaching it. They got it from Jesus. One day, and it's probably not today, it's probably not tomorrow, it has been going on for a long time, this wait, but he will return one day if it's 10,000 years from now or 1,000 or tomorrow. Peter points out, hey, 1,000 years is his one day. One day is 1,000 years to the Lord. We get worried about time, but God's not wrapped up in time. He'll do what he wants to when he wants to. But in light of all that, Peter says, man, what sort of people ought the church to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And he goes on a little further and says, since you're waiting for this stuff, be diligent to be found of him without spot or blemish and at peace. And don't be carried away with error by the lawless people and lose your own stability, but rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's great irony, I think. The great and terrible day of the Lord, a reckoning, a fire, and burning, and judgment is coming. But it doesn't cause us anxiety and fear and despair. And it certainly shouldn't cause us reckless living. To be just sort of kesarasara. Well, you know, the Lord's coming back. He's going to destroy all this. So why does any of it matter? It absolutely matters. Peter says, in fact... Rather than live that way, you ought to live even more godliness, more holiness. You ought to be concerned about that more and more knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wednesday night, we studied through our um, confession of faith. And this last week, we are studying a portion about liberty of conscience. But before that, we've studied a section called Assurance. And we talked a lot about this. That one of the great gifts and blessings of Christianity is this assurance that God gives to us. And it's not automatic. You know, for a long time, we've told people, hey, pray this prayer and trust Jesus. And now, because you prayed that prayer, you can have assurance that you're going to die and go to heaven. But then most of us as humans, we find some days where we're like, I don't feel like I know that right now. And we live and we sin and we say, man, I don't think, surely I'm not saved. We've taught people that this assurance is something that you can just muster up. But I think it's something, it's a grace from God that he gives over time. And it's a blessing that you can get to a place in your life where you feel like and understand I'm not worthy to be saved. I'm not worthy to go to heaven I'm not sure I'm saved, but I look at the promises that God's made and I look at these things that the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he did and I don't know why, but I believe those things. And I can't be convinced not to believe them. So I'm going to trust that because of what God has said and I believe his word to be true, then I can know I have eternal life, not because of anything I did, but because of who he is. And that assurance comes. And our confession is so great at pointing out some days you won't feel like you have any assurance. Some days you'll feel so far away that you think, I don't even know if any of this is true. But then God will be in his, in his gracious manner. He'll be so uh, faithful to bring you back and give you assurance. And so maybe some of you even right now are in that place where you're, you've sort of drifted away. And Peter says here, hey, don't fall into lawless deeds and lawless teaching and lose your stability. He's not saying, hey, 
If you do some bad things, you'll be sa- you might be saved now, but God will unsave you later. Or you'll unsave yourself. No, that's not possible. He talks in, wor- in terms of stability. That losing a solid footing. And, it, and he speaks of it in a context of knowledge. The things you know. Listen, some days your assurance is going to be based only on what you know and not how you feel. Most days, right? All of us know, if we're honest with ourselves, there are days I don't feel saved. There are days I don't feel like I'm going to heaven. And so those are the days I have to go back and say, but God, I know what you said and what you promised. And I know from the beginning it wasn't based on anything I could do or say. And then I find out things like the Bible says, I love him because he first loved me. And then I find out he's loved me since before the foundation of the world. Before he even made me in my mother's womb, he knew me and created a passion and a place for me. And that, that's the kind of thing that brings me hope and assurance. And so don't mishear me. Peter's not saying, all right, look, do a bunch of good stuff and you'll be happy and you'll, you'll, you'll feel good. Because we all know that some days we don't even want to do good things. And we talked about this last week, and I, and I thought it was important for me to bring it up to you who, who weren't there Wednesday. Because a lot of times in a church like this where we teach the doctrines of grace, and we talk about the sovereignty of God, and we talk about it's not of works lest anyone should boast, and we downplay works, and we say, hey, this is not about works. You can't do anything to earn God's favor and love. That is absolutely true. But then we find out that the Bible also says, but you were created under good works in Christ Jesus. And then Peter in chapter 1 of this book even says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we talked about this at great lengths Wednesday night. Don't ever think that our talk about sovereignty and God being in control of all things because we believe that. That never means that you, therefore, don't have to be obedient to what God has said. We do have to be obedient. And in our obedience, we are blessed. And here's the beauty. God chose in his own sovereignty, in his own will, in his own knowledge to give us obedience. And then he chose to receive that obedience and be pleased with it. So here's the good news. And what we believe about sovereignty and grace is all true. And because we believe that, even when... We don't want to do the things that we're called to do, but we find ourselves doing them. God is pleased with that because he knows we couldn't do it anyways, but he's given us the grace and the ability to do it. And so we can't stop and say, well, look how good I'm doing. Look at what a good Christian I am. No, we say, wow, God did good works through me today. That's amazing because I would never do these good things on my own. And so rather than the doctrines of grace causing us to sit idly by and do nothing. It's because God first loved us. It's because God uh, ordained that we would be saved. It's because God gave us faith to believe. And because God created us under good works, that we can be obedient and God will receive that. As long as we keep it in the right order, never think that, well, if I do good things, God will love me. Or if I do nice things and I'm obedient, God will love me more. No. We love him because he first loved us. Even our love that is reciprocated to him is from him. And I can't even explain that. But I think it ought to give us a lot of hope. Hey, 
You know what? I know where you are. I wake up in the same place all the time. Man, I don't do very much. I don't, I, I don't show very often how Christian I am. I don't love people the way I should. I've called to it, and I see that it says do it. And sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I do. I have no excuse not to do it. And what Peter says here is, look, all this is going somewhere. History is headed somewhere. And it's headed to a good place for those of us who believe. It's headed to a place where God's righteous judgment will finally fall, but his grace and mercy will be evident to those who love him and know him. In light of that, we ought to be otherworldly people. We ought to live in a way that would cause people to wonder, why do we live this way? Why do we care about obedience? Why do we care about doing the things God has called us to? Because we know the truth. We know that one day this thing's going to end. We know that Christ is coming back. It may not be in our lifetime, but that doesn't change anything. We still are called to live without spot and blemish and at peace. Now, again, we can't take the credit for that. And on the days we do well, to God be the glory. And on the days we don't do well, to God be the glory for his mercy and grace. That's why we needed a Savior, by the way. If anybody could have earned it, Jesus didn't have to come. None of us can earn it. So I guess the word of encouragement to you is this. If you've been working and working and working, thinking that somehow, if I do good, God will be pleased with me and he'll accept me. No. Hear this. God accepted his son, Jesus. And so anybody who believes in him, God accepts them through Christ. You'll never do enough good things. You'll never go to church enough. You'll never be nice. You'll never love people correctly enough. You'll never give away enough, spend enough money, none of those things for God to look down and say, now there's somebody that I'm going to take with me. No, the only person that he's ever said this about, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, is his son, Jesus. And so any race that we run or any prize that we might receive, any of those things are because of Christ and not because of us. So we don't get those mixed up. But a lot of times... In our preaching about grace and sovereignty, it causes us to sometimes think, well, then I don't have to do anything. God's going to do it all. He's going to do it all, but you have a responsibility to obey the word. And when you don't, you're in sin. And when you do, it's because of his grace and his giftedness. So either way, he gets the glory. That's the point. And it's a beautiful thing. Because all of us may fall, as the confession says, into grievous sins and continue in them for a time. Nevertheless, God will renew our repentance and preserve us through Jesus Christ to the end. And so there's so many things here we could teach about in this one chapter. But I just want you to think through this with me. The Lord has saved us and called us out of this world. And one day we'll leave this world. But while we're in this world, he's called us to live as though we're from another world. And we know that that's impossible in our flesh because most of the time the desire's not even there.
But when the desire is there, thank God for that. And continue to seek Him for it. Continue to trust Him for it. And do the things that are right even when you don't want to do them. And when you find yourself doing them, give Him praise for it. Because it's His works and the works of His Son that He is pleased with. Even belief. If you believe these things to be true, that's a gift of God. You didn't, you didn't muster that up inside of you some way. The Bible is clear. There are none who seek God, no, not one. So if you find yourself seeking Him and believing in Him, that's a gift of grace. And I encourage you to act on that gift that He's given you in the sense that follow Him in baptism. Be baptized. And be a part of a local congregation like this where you can hear the Word and grow so that your foundation will not be slippery or unstable, as Peter says. That's the reason to be at church together with the other believers, is to worship him and to grow in grace and be discipled. In a few minutes, uh, after I pray, we're going to pass out the elements of communion. And you're welcome to join us in that if you have faith in Christ and you've been baptized as a believer in Christ, you're welcome to join us. You don't have to be a member of this church. And we'll celebrate the gifts that God has given us through Jesus, especially the gift of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth of it. And we do thank you for Christ, most of all, for all that he has done and the hope that we've been given in him. And Lord, we do look around and we can see all the things that the prophets spoke of before you judged your people years ago. And those things are still coming to pass. There's still thunderings and earthquakes and cataclysmic events. All these things are proof that one day you will come back and ultimately reign. You reign now, but we will see it one day. But in light of that, I pray that you give us a great hope and faith and these things that are spoken of in this text, this godliness and right living. Lord, that you give us these things and you would teach us how to love properly and Lord, that you would just give us a greater love for you and your word. We trust you for that as we celebrate that which we've been commanded to celebrate in remembrance of Christ and what he's done for us and dying for us. And as it says in there, we do this in remembrance of him until he comes. So even as we take the supper, we are remembering that this is true. He is coming back one day. If not in our lifetime, we know that it's still true. And so help us to live that way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.